This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Hi, this Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 269. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Steph. And this is Ian. We are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of March 3rd through March 16th. We have a total of two books to cover. You may be asking yourself, how is that possible? Because there wasn't an issue of Detective Comics that released in the beginning of March. And I would say, you are absolutely correct. It's not possible, but it is because we are here to from the future to discuss Batman number 67 as well as the issue that came out at the beginning of the month which which which, blah, 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 which was Batman 66 um you may be asking yourself how is this possible well like i said we've just we happen to come across a time machine and we have the ability to see the future so uh that that's as far as i'm explaining that and with that, uh, we're going to jump straight into comic news. And um, as, as, as seems to be the, the trend, there's not a lot of news or really a whole lot of anything to talk about. Because I guess the fact that Detective Comics doesn't have an issue in the beginning of March, there's very little to no news whatsoever in the beginning of March. And our wonderful listeners decided to not leave us any comments for this episode. This is either going to be the shortest comic cast I can't say it's going to be the shortest comic cast ever because, let's be honest, there have been some extremely short ones, and it's not going to be that short. But uh, we do have some other things to discuss. But the one bit of news that did come out, which quite honestly isn't really news, it was more of like a DC just broadcasting, hey, everybody, guess what? Here's a list of all the variants for Detective Comics number 1000, which any eagle-eyed fan and listener of the podcast as well as any reader of the website or fan of the website or member of our discord has seen over the past couple of months, the variants have been coming in all the time and we've been seeing these variants for quite some time. So there hasn't been a whole lot of surprises. And on this list of, of uh, variants, there's a total of like 33 variants spread out all over for all kinds of different retailers featuring the art by all kinds of different artists, some of which we've talked about before. If you were paying attention the last week in the Batcave for multiple weeks, that there was multiple variants shown off over there. Um, so 
the entire list of where you will be able to find uh, these comic variants, as well as the, who the artist was who, pro- who produced the art for it, as well as links to where you can purchase the variants, uh, is over on the site for you to check out if you are so in- interested in, in purchasing some of those variants. I know that there are certain people who are looking for very specific variants by very specific artists, and this is the list that uh, you will be able to find. I looking over the list, I did not see any that were unexpected or not mentioned somewhere else. So I can't sit here and say that there's any else there there will be any other ones out there. I don't think there is because honestly I feel like they probably all need to be authorized by DC in some way and I doubt that DC would not publicize a variant in some way amongst this list. So that being said, uh is there any variant that you guys have seen um, outside of the normal decade variants that we initially talked about when the announcement of Detective Comics number 1000 first came out, is there any variant that you guys have seen that you are potentially looking forward to? I like the one of, and it's just because I love Catwoman and I'm a sucker, but the Catwoman in her original dress and cape flying through the air with Batman. I love that one. By Lee for the Bedrock comics. That one looks fun. But anything with Catwoman on it will always be my favorite. There are a lot of what I would classify as sort of a Gotham City Sirens um, themed variant covers for this uh, Detective Comics 1000, which kind of confused me because the Sirens were never really a thing in Detective Comics. Um, They had their own title, obviously. But I think it's partly because there's a lot of very popular... Uh, variant cover artists like um, J. Scott Campbell and Art Germ, who are well known for their really uh, striking covers featuring the female superheroes and villains. And so I think that the sirens lend themselves well to a Batman related concept. Um, my personal favorites of the covers so far are definitely Nicholas Scott's companion to the um, Action Comics 1000 she did, where she did like all of the Superman suits, um, and this one's all the Batman suits, sort of in rows, three rows. Um, and I really like that visual history. I also really like the companion piece that Pat Gleason did to his action comics 1000 cover where in the action comics, it was Superman and Lois and John. And I think it's crypto, the super dog um, looking from the right to the left. And then for detective comics, he has Batman, Dick, Jason, Tim, Damien and Ace, the bat hound looking from the left to the right. So they be sort of facing each other. If you put them side by side, I think that's a really nice, companion i like it when an artist sort of thinks about uh symmetry in multiple covers um so that really those two covers actually both are in the same kind of thing and i actually really hope that nicholas scott is able to create a wonder woman comic cover uh that has all the wonder woman you know costumes in that same composition Uh, i don't know where she'd get a chance to put that but i'm sure dc would just be like hey put it on Woman, Wonder Woman number 80 or something, or number 75. How do you feel about Dick being in the short shorts, finally? Uh, the Buy Me Toys, Rodolf Migliari? 
It's got Dick as pretty much an adult <laughs> in the short shorts and the pixie boots. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely harkening back to the uh, version of Dick with Barbara and them, like him being obviously older, but before he becomes Nightwing because that hadn't taken place. But yeah, slightly disturbing. Um, I, I, I prefer to just prefer to pretend that the pixie boots and the uh, shorts, the, the, let's, let's be honest, they're booty shorts. Uh, the booty shorts, <laughs> you know, didn't exist. Hot pants, you say? Um, yeah, hot pants, yeah. I mean, like, I prefer if that stuff just didn't exist, but then again, I, there's nothing I can do about that. So, uh, <laughs> I remember when some of the flashback issues were coming out and people were like, be, be brave, you know, which put Dick in the original pants and, you know, don't be a pansy about it. And then it's like, you know, I think they made, I mean, they made a good choice not putting him in the short shorts. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> One of the, my favorite variants um, that I've, that, that, that out of this group is the Miko Sawayan. Uh It's unknown. It's from unknown comics. And there's, it's basically, it looks like it's three covers Ooh. put together, but basically you've got the Bat family, including Huntress, which I think is cool because outside oh, of old Huntress too, it's not current. Huntress. Yeah. Um, outside of Huntress appearing in, in Birds of Prey, she, I mean, she's not really been around at all recently, but Batwoman's there. You've got Tim, although he's in a Red Robin suit, which obviously I've got an issue with, but everybody else is there. And Batwoman's there, Red Hood, Nightwing, Damien's there. I love those. The The only small weird issue I have is it looks like it's in the back gardens of Wayne Manor. And for some reason, there are statues of villains in the gardens. Now, while I don't I think he's trying to be realistic. I hope he's not trying to be realistic. That would make no <laughs> sense. But why would Bruce why Wayne would have statues yeah. of Bane and Joe? <laughs> to be fair... Um, while the backdrop and the statues part doesn't make a lot of sense to me, I always appreciate covers or prints that feature a large a large amount of the Bat family, if not all of the Bat family. And I liked this one a lot. Um, and and I think we talked about it on a previous episode, but the Jason Fabic art print that or the art the splash page that's going to appear in Detective Comics, I was really having like super high hopes for it. And I was uh, honestly very let down by it. it. Not that it's poor in quality. It just, it doesn't feel like anything but a collage of characters and, and things um, from the Batman universe. It doesn't feel like there's any like rhyme or reason for the way things are in, in, in the actual piece of art that was created for the issue. And it's nothing against Fabic. I love Fabic, but I just don't understand like, He's been involved and there have been other projects like he was involved in the bad Thanksgiving one. And obviously there were so many little tidbits here or there that were referencing things. And I thought that not necessarily was going to be the exact same thing as bad Thanksgiving where you have all these characters showcased, but there's like one's facing one and there, there's a reason why this one's facing that one. And there's a reason why this, these two are interacting over here and they're so far away from Batman over here. There was a rhyme or reason with everything. And while Fabic has said multiple times that that wasn't necessarily his idea, he just did what Mike Martz had, had told him, it would have been nice to get something like that because initially it was, we're getting something referencing exactly how the Bat family currently is at this momentous time that is Detective Comics number 1000, also the 80th anniversary. The issue is that 
It's not that at all. There's there's all kinds of things in this splash page that have nothing to do with the current events within the Bat family, and that's that's the concern I have. Is well, this was just an excuse to to jam pack a bunch of stuff from the Bat universe in into a piece of art, but there's no real rhyme or reason, and honestly, it just feels like the cover gallery that we saw in Batman number fifty, where although it wasn't a cover gallery, it was just a gallery of art by a variety of different artists that submitted art and made the issue oversized. But really we were paying extra for all this, all these little pieces of art that were scattered throughout. And I don't know, like, I just wish, like, I like this. I like the Miko swing. And I'm, I know I'm saying it wrong, but uh, the Sawayan cover way more because at least for even though Batgirl is not currently in her current costume and Red Robin is in a Red or Robin is Tim Drake is in a Red Robin costume despite all of that I still think that this is like a better representation of like here you go this is the Bat family and this is this and it doesn't feel although the costumes aren't necessarily the immediately correct costumes but to be fair, a lot of these covers are not featuring the time-specific correct costumes. I feel like this just feels better. I really kind of want a print of that Sawayan cover. So here's hoping. That's interesting because I was sort of like the opposite. I like the Faybuck, and I think this one's nice. But it really confuses me with the – you got all your new 52, and then you have your pre-52 Huntress. And um, it's just – I look at that, mm-hmm. and I'm – I'm like, this is a very nice art, and I agree with you. A print would be nice. I'm definitely hoping they include it in the deluxe edition, but it's a weird mishmash. Yeah. I like the Dan Jurgens ones where he's jumping, but he's evolving from his original, you know, 1939 look to what he does. Well, I guess it's not really current look, but that one's pretty cool. So outside of that, that's all the news. Um, if you are so inclined the numbers for the sales numbers for January have posted stuff uh, posted that Steph, anything worth noting to our listeners? Let's see. Oh, comic sales were up. That was good from last year. And Batman and laughs is doing really great. <laughs> of course, all of the mini series were under 20,000. And not doing so great. All of them. Like, which one was really bad? The um, Old Lady Harley took quite a dip. That was unfortunate. Because that actually was pretty good. And I enjoyed that. Super Sons isn't doing very good. <laughs> Poor Damien. Heroes in Crisis is number 8 and 9 on the on the market chart. Which is actually a little surprising. Because it started off pretty strong at on the top. And now it's on the bottom of the 10. But it's still top 10, so. Still top 10. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. But for a... For, uh, a hyped up series like that, it is kind of surprising that it's not the top, like, like Batman Who Laughs. Yeah, I'm going to be really curious to see what happens with this Leviathan event that Bendis is doing in the summer. Yeah. Um, and then, if anyone wanted to do any suggestions for uh, for the numbers, I've actually copied down all the all the numbers for um, the last 20 years of Batman. <laughs> Um, and I was have a few ideas uh, planned out for for number comparisons, but the one I did this month was um, Snyder versus King and who sells more. Yeah. So you should check that out on yeah, the numbers article. Definitely check those out. Those are so so basically, if you haven't read any of Steph's uh, numbers articles at up to this point, at the end of the just the normal monthly sales numbers, 
she's doing a spotlight and this month was King versus Snyder who sells more. And there's a nice little graph that shows the trend of, you know, who's selling more per issue and things like that. So definitely check those out. And if you have anything that you would like suggested or you like to suggest for a future spotlight, like you'd like to know uh, Grant Morrison versus Scott Snyder or what, uh, well, that would be a little bit more difficult because that's not based off of that, but uh random idea, uh, which of the villains Ooh, sells yeah. the best That'd be good. that would that that would probably require way more <laughs> way more research yeah. way more research because we'd have to go back and look through but th- that i mean stuff like that would be really interesting and and Steph is going to be diving into the numbers a lot so if you have a suggestion or you have something that you really would love to know related to sales you can either leave a comment on the actual sales number or, or the the TBU by the numbers article as a suggestion, or you can leave us a, a comment here for the comic cast and we will be sure to, you know, get that where it needs to go. So outside of that, we have two books to cover. As I said, uh, we have jumped into a time machine and we are covering Batman 67 as well as Batman 66, but we're going to first start off with 66 and we're not going to, it's not going to be like last episode where we grouped Flash and Batman together because these are separate issues. So we're going to start off with Batman 66. Batman number 66, Nightmares, part four. Writer Tom King, artist Jorge Fornes, colorist Dave Stewart. We open with Selena Kyle, Catwoman, being interviewed by the question. She borrows a cigarette and then recounts how she and Batman met on the street in Batman Year One. She says she saw the tension between tough and gentle even in that first fight. When the question brings up Batman's version of events, that they met on a boat, Selena says she wrote a note to explain why she left in Batman number 50. Selena begins to tell the story of their love how it snuck up on them, and they found themselves in the middle before realizing they'd begun. She recounts a story of working for Two-Face to steal a diamond to lure Batman so that Harvey could kill him. However, she'd gone to Batman and worked out a plan to double-cross Two-Face. After that, they worked together and knew there was something more. The tension between thief and hero, their various love affairs, but always returning to each other, Bat and Cat. Selina refers to the note, and the question asks her to go over it with him. She tells the question that Batman isn't like Superman and Wonder Woman. When they go up against giant squid monsters, his best friends have the powers of gods. But he jumps in after them because of his vow. She says that there are many, like herself in the question, who are good at fighting and saving the day. But none of them are Batman. She believes it's because Batman has no room in his life for anything but his vow. The question asks if Batman can be happy and be Batman. Selina says Batman can't be anything and be Batman. He is only Batman. Over images of Batman and Catwoman kissing in the rain, the question grows increasingly agitated. He refuses to accept Selina's note, saying that Batman needs to know the real reason— In a mirror of Batman Annual number 2, with Batman and Catwoman facing each other on a rooftop in the rain, 
Catwoman walks away from Batman in the rain, asking, Why? The question tells a story of men trying to figure out what wind-moving a flag means, then reveals that he and Selina are both just another nightmare, Batman trying to escape by figuring out why Catwam Catwoman left him all those months ago. Selina left a note. In the note, she claimed she needed to let Batman go because she loved him as a hero too much to let him lose that heroism. But now, his family has fallen apart. He has abandoned his friends like Jim Gordon, and he's been captured. If she left him to make him strong, why is he so weak now? Selina takes a long drag on her cigarette, looks across the table, and says, Okay. I lied. So, this issue was very... It was very powerful to me because it explores a lot of the things that have been sort of building over the last um, two and a half years in Tom King's Batman run. So my first question is, how did you feel about what this dream of the question and Catwoman was saying about Batman. Do you think it rings true to how you see Batman yourself and how Tom King has been writing Batman? Well, I would say that the way it does ring true to the way Tom King has been writing Batman, where it seems as if there's a distinct direction that we thought he was going. And then, it veered to the side and now it's going in a completely different direction. We thought that maybe Batman could be happy. He is not happy. Um, the family has, you know, is scattered and he is not really u- utilizing. It. I mean, like we complained about after the whole situation with Dick Grayson, after he got shot, we just saw him go after KG beast. We didn't really see any sort of ramifications of him or, or, you know, him dealing with the fact that this horrible thing happened to basically his son and that bothered us. And I imagine it bothered a lot of people. And for whatever reason, I guess the, 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 the explanation at least is that the reason why he went after KGB is because that's how because of the mindset that Batman was in because of the events that played out during the wedding and the wedding not actually occurring, that is why he did that. But regardless, it feels as if the family's scattered. Obviously he's not happy because of the entire thing that happened with Selena, but then also as it's pointed out in the issue, the, you know, he's now going against his friends and Jim Gordon there's definitely something going on. We know, obviously, behind the scenes what it is that Bane's manipulating a lot of different things within Batman's life that is causing these situations to unfold. But it does feel as if this was a very specific thing. It, it, it feels like it's a very specific story pattern, not pattern, but more of a, a direction. Like this is what Tom King intended from the very beginning. And we are along for the ride. We thought it was all going one direction. It completely went a different direction. And now it's all heading continuously downhill. And who knows if there's a way to stop it from keeping, you know, from continuing to go downhill. There's, there's no way of knowing at this point. So I would say, 
I didn't necessarily have an issue with the way things unfolded. It is very, it is slightly trippy as when King does these like single issues dealing with the nightmares, because although it is all part of one specific single arc, they are all not connected, at least in any way that I see at this point, other than just showing something that Batman has a problem with and it potentially being worked out in his head as to a solution, even though you don't necessarily get to a solution. So the trippy side of the stuff is, is is slightly annoying because it's hard to know exactly what, what's going on. And especially the way King is sometimes where he intends one thing, but the way it comes across on page is very different. So yeah. Can you repeat your question again? Uh, My question is, does the way King is having Batman examine his past in the last, you know, in King's run from issue one all the way up to um, number 60 when he was captured. So this is basically Batman processing those previous 60 issues. Does this issue 66 seem true to who Batman is both in your own head and how you've read him in Tom King's run? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Cause it's, I mean, even though, I mean, we have to remember all this is, I mean, Batman is right now is a closed system. There's no new information that we know of that's being fed into Batman's brain. He's only processing things that he already knows. And so right now in this issue, you know, he's trying to figure out why did Selena do what she did? And so he's, he's analyzing her and you know what? So, so looking at the speech bubbles, the question speech bubbles are colored like Batman's. So are we are we guessing that Bruce Wayne is really behind the mask of the question? I mean, wasn't the last question Renee Montoya, so it should be a woman? So that's well, my theory, is that... It- as far as we know, Renee isn't the question in the current continuity. That was wiped right. away with the New 52 and... Well, is anyone the question written. right now? Uh, I think it's just um, Vic... Vic uh, Sage? Okay. Yeah, I think it's just, well, I mean, the thing is, he's been showing up in action comics, but he's never okay. taken off the mask yet. Okay. Because regardless, it still does look like Bruce slash Batman's colors well, this when he's question, talking. Yeah, that's a really great insight because this question, um, Selena asks the question, so you do whatever Batman wants. And he says in his dreams, and this is a joke because this is right. Batman's dream. Therefore, the question is Batman's mouthpiece. Right. What we don't think about is that Catwoman is also Batman's mouthpiece. Also Batman. Yes. This isn't and actually so, Catwoman. Right. This is not actually Catwoman. This is this is what Bruce is thinking Catwoman is thinking. And so and so we don't know if she's actually lying, but in his mind, the only reasonable explanation for why she left and why she wrote that letter is because it was a lie. So this again is is Bruce com- combination of of trying to figure himself out and also trying to figure other people out without talking to other people and just using his perception of them. Um, and also again, like you're truly, you know, suppressing everything at the same time. Um, so I think this is definitely in, in, in line with, with how I see Batman and how he, you know, tries to figure things out and how King's been writing him. Okay. Um, second question. Uh, this is maybe a little obvious. Catwoman or Batman thinking about what he knows about Catwoman says at the end of this issue, okay, I lied. 
What did she lie about? What does this mean to you? I think that, I mean, he's got to be figuring out at this point that there, that Bane is behind some, or at least some, he knows someone is behind something. There's too much going wrong for him to not think that there's a big bad out there, right? So if everything is being controlled, it would make sense that he's starting to reach that point where he's thinking maybe Selena's being controlled as well. And if she's being controlled, then things she would have said or the motivations for her actions would possibly be controlled by someone else. And so saying, I left you so you would be stronger and him replying with, or slash the question or whoever, if he's, he's, he's so much weaker now than before, then how can you say you left him for him to be stronger? And it's, well, I lied. And are you lying because Bane is controlling Selena as well? Yeah. And I, yeah, and they, they were in Arkham together, weren't they? And so it she would have had access. Well, because he was controlling Arkham when she was there. No, 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 no. He was mm-hmm. back at Santa Prisca during that. Oh, that's right. He wasn't. He was in Santa Prisca. You're right. Although my personal theory is that Bane was behind the bombing of the orphanage because he wanted Selena to do something. He, I think Bane's been behind this since before King's Run started. This is my personal theory. Mm-hmm. I would say that. He definitely the way Bruce is interpreting this is is definitely he believes that there's somebody behind it. We know that he already suspected Bane because we saw that before these this nightmare arc started, um, and then the whole fallout with Jim Gordon because he accused Bane, and then everyone's like, "But it can't be Bane because he's been sitting here and he's he's basically comatose or not comatose, but he's he's got issues and he's not." He, there's no way he's he's behind all of this, and that was what caused the rift between him and Gordon. But the fact that he already suspected Bane was behind it, even though everybody else is telling him it's not possible, now he's dealing with these nightmares. I think he still is starting to put together that a lot of things within his life have been manipulated, and this is his version of it because – in the i in in the in the in the instance that the question is Bruce Wayne and obviously this Selena is Bruce Wayne as well and they're talking to each other maybe he's working out this idea of well here's what i don't understand why would you do this she, she's in turn saying everything back to him that he already knew that we've already seen happen mm-hmm. but then when she says she lied maybe this is him telling himself Bruce Wayne is telling himself as Selena, this is literally so trippy, just trying to figure out how to explain this. <laughs> but Bruce Wayne as Selena Kyle within Bruce Wayne's mind is telling Bruce Wayne the question that he <laughs> that that she is lying or she lied, and that is the and and now it's a question of well, why did she lie? Um right. So, I mean, and that's at the end of the issue, that's what I was thinking. It was like, okay, so if he thinks that she lied, where's, where's he getting that? Where's he getting that from? And then I was really hoping 67 was going to pick up with that. And as we'll get to in a minute, it, it, it didn't, but. Um, so my personal theory to my own question, <laughs> I'm sort of like Batman here. I'm puppeting my own question and answer um, is that I think that Batman knows more about Catwoman and what's going on than he consciously understands. So it's this idea that you're constantly picking up all these things with your, your mind, but your brain makes sense of it. But in a dream, you're able to access things you didn't necessarily know you knew. And this is a fairly common 
uh, storytelling technique. It's one of the things I've brought up every time about dreams being sort of like the easy answer to finding answers to a question, character's motivation because a dream is unconscious and therefore it's a lot of um, information floating around in a character's mind uh, in an order. The writer gets to decide that, you know, he can give them sort of a miraculous insight into their own behavior that, you know, we don't usually get in our own dreams. I think that when Batman has his idea of Catwoman say that I lied, he's intuiting that there is more um, than just her note. I think that the whole of this issue is Batman uh, beating his head against the note that Catwoman left him in uh, number 50. Um, And I would point out the letter Selina wrote to Bruce in I Am Suicide. I can't remember if it was number 10 or number 12, but it was one of those two because Bruce wrote a letter to Selina and then Selina wrote a letter to Bruce about her killing all those terrorists. But that was a lie too. So this idea of Catwoman writing down a message for Batman and it being a lie is already implanted in our minds by that first note she left him about killing the terrorists. So for me, I look at the note she leaves him in Batman number 50, and I think there is something more behind that. There is, there's an unrevealed truth, which doesn't mean that everything's like, I think, yes, she does love him. So I think when she says, I love you, that wasn't a lie, but I think there's more than just, I have to be a hero. So I'm going to let you go because that's the heroic action. Cause we can't be happy together. Cause you'll stop being Batman. I think there's more to it. And at least, and I don't know how much of this is my own wishful thinking because I desperately want Batman to be able to grow. I know that he can't get over his parents' death because then he would not be Batman. Like the whole thing about his vow, he is Batman because he's Batman. There's a certain point where Batman can't grow past. He can't ever heal from that wound because otherwise he'd you know, become Bruce Wayne philanthropist. Like all those um, happy Bruces in The Batman Who Laughs who found a way to be good to Gotham and the rest of the world without being Batman. And DC is never going to stop making Bruce Batman. Um, I don't think we really want him to stop being Batman because we think Batman's awesome. We're part of the Batman universe. It's great. But that does mean he's always going to be a certain level of unhealed. He's always going to have a certain level of trauma that he's not going to get over. But I think that he can get better than he is now. Uh, And I think that the idea that Batman is so weak right now is really true. And I think there is something more to be revealed in the relationship between Batman and Catwoman. Um, so to me, I don't really have an answer to what the lie is, but I do think there is a lie. I think it's not just a matter of Batman telling himself it's a lie. I think Batman knows on a subconscious level that there's more to Catwoman's answer than the letter she left because of this pattern that she had in I Am Suicide. So we're going to find out. I hope soon. It might not be till issue 100 or maybe uh, 101 to 105. But there is going to be more revelations to come about why Catwoman chose the way she chose. So my third question uh, – sorry, this, this issue just triggered a lot of questions. I really loved it. Um, what do you think about Batman being just a man when his friends are superhuman? Does that seem true to you? I mean I've had some people push back and say – 
well, Batman doesn't sleep and Batman has so much money that he, he has basically a superpower um, and Batman is good at everything. But to you, does Batman feel like a normal person who just does heroic things because he's made a promise when he doesn't have all the advantages of uh, a Superman or Wonder Woman? I would say yes. Um, I feel like he is he's he's not a superhero. He, he he can never be a superhero because it makes him that's what makes him it's one of the things that makes him very unique from other people. Other people can be rich. Lex Luthor's rich. Lex Luthor's not a superhero in most versions. Um, but the thing is, like, he, he made this promise, and I, I loved how they actually phrased it. Like, you know, or in the in this story, the way Catwoman phrases it is like, well, you know, there's a giant, you know, horrible monster that has to be defeated, and Wonder Woman and Superman they have got powers, and they go after it. Batman goes after it because he. He, he has this vow to, you know, protect people and, and, and be, a, 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 you know, a thing of good for society. And, and it, for that, it, it makes sense. And I, I, I liked that portrayal of, of Batman. Now I would say that there are plenty of versions where it just seems like the, the certain aspects of Batman's person, not personality, but his character, like the fact that he's rich, the fact that he has these great gadgets, the fact that he's, you know, a super great martial artist who's been trained by all kinds of, uh, you know, great teachers and things like that. You know, the certain stories, they, they tend to like focus very specifically on some of those aspects of the character and say, this is why he is the way he is, or this is what makes him unique compared to somebody else. And it's not necessarily untrue it's just a matter of how you're telling the story and quite honestly in most stories especially when you look at justice league and i'll be honest i don't really like reading justice league i'm not talking about just right now the scott snyder version that's happening right now but in general the justice league stories sometimes the stories just feel they fall flat for me and it's not because they're not good stories but it's because i'm reading them because batman's involved but most of the time either batman's portrayed as this you know, this, this untrustful human being who constantly is mistrusting all these other people he's constantly working with, or he's portrayed as this person who can't work with others, but is somehow feels forced that he has to be there working with others. And I don't really think that that's how Batman would be. If Batman didn't really want to work with others, why would he be there? If all it was ever about was to be close to these people who could, you know, but who have these powers who could betray the world, why would he bother being around them all the time? Like he has the ability, like as we've seen in certain stories with brother, I and things like that, he has the ability to like keep tabs on basically anybody he wants. He doesn't need to be a part of this team. If it wasn't something that was like further had a deeper meaning, which in, as this story is pointing out, it's because he has, he feels like he made this promise that he's going to protect things regardless of whether he's got powers or not. So I think that, that version of Batman makes a lot of sense. And I think that's part of the reason why so many of the Justice League stories fall flat for me is because most of the time he's portrayed as like the outsider of the group who does his own thing and it pisses everybody off. And I don't, not that I'm saying that Batman needs to be a team player, but then why have Batman on the team at all? I mean, like, you see so many stories where Batman is like finding his own team. You've got the outsiders recently. We had justice league of America, you know, at the end of the new 52, there's all these versions of, of these different teams that Batman has created that has these superheroes on it. And it's like, 
why would he, why as a character would he keep doing this if it was just about keeping them close, which is what the excuse is most of the time when people are saying, when you, when you hear people say, well, that's why he's, he's on these teams. I don't think he's on those teams. I think he's on those teams because he's legitimately just trying to make the world a better place in his own dark brooding way. And that's the best way to do it is, you know, he might not have the abilities to go up against magic. So he finds somebody who can, and then aligns himself with those people so that when he comes across a situation that he can't necessarily handle by himself, he has people he can turn to. They might not be his best friend. They might not want to, you know, go have drinks with him after they get off of their shift. They don't have shifts, but (laughs) you you get the idea. I mean, like it it just like, the idea that Batman is this person who is – he has made a promise that he is going to protect people, that he's going to be a, 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 a form of justice, that's the Batman that makes the most sense. And that's what I wish what we, we would see more often when it comes to some of these books that deal with Batman interacting with some of these much larger-than-life superheroes with multiple power sets. So, Ian, can you repeat the question again? Well, first, I, I do want to get to Steph's reaction, but I want to say that for all the complaints, and there were legitimate complaints about the Justice League movie, I really liked Batman's role in bringing the team together because he wanted to make the world a better place. Uh, and that, that to me, is the best version of Batman in the Justice League. Is He's not just a cranky person who's paranoid and causes as many problems as he solves. He's a hero who saves people. And he found other people who want to do that too. Um, so my question uh, for Steph is: do You does the way that Tom King writes about Batman just being a guy? Um, yes, he's got money and training, but he's just a guy. And you know, there's that great sequence where he's um, on a building top with Superman and Wonder Woman, and there's this huge squid monster yeah. like destroying the city and Superman runs in. He's got all his powers and his heat vision and Wonder Woman goes in with her lasso and her, her own powers. And then Batman is by himself and he jumps off the building and you just see his little winged silhouette as he glides in to fight something that's just way beyond his own powers, but he wants to save people. So he does that. So does that resonate with you as a normal person? Or do you think that Batman feels too unrealistic to connect there? Um, I mean, one of the reasons I love Batman, and to be honest, one reason that I just, my eyes roll in the back of my head when I read pretty much any other book is his lack of superpowers. Like, I just find that so relatable. Like, I know that inside of us, there's always that part. It's like, you know, if I work out enough, and if I go to school enough, and go to detective school, if I have a, you know, a shaman in the Himalayan rainforest or whatever, <laughs> no, there's no Himalayan rainforest, the Himalayan mountains, who can train me, I can become like Batman. Like, there's that hope, because we know we're never going to get hit by a lightning while doing an experiment or whatever happened to the flash, you know, we're never gonna, you know, all that, we're never going to get superpowers, but we could be Batman if we, you know, give up sleep forever. But, um, and I just always love that. And so his whole family is just, is just wonderful to me. And I just love reading about them and, and, and I just could gobble it up. And then, you know, just the moment there's magic or there's superpowers, I just kind of glaze over. Cause it's like, well, I don't care about that. <laughs> And so Tom King writing him not only as, you know, a human, but just as such a fallible human, I just find him so much more relatable. Um, 
I finally got finished listening to every single comic comic cast podcast. And and when I Am Suicide came out, um, there was just so much hate for I Am Suicide and all this stuff. But I actually really liked I Am Suicide because, you know, I was a depressed teenager. You know, I didn't think there was too much to be happy about when I was 18. So I actually found it very relatable. Even Batman, someone that I liked even back then, you know, struggled and, and had a hard time getting out of bed. And I was like, that's... I appreciate that the, the superhero that I like so much, who's fictional, <laughs> struggles with the same thing I do. And so I just, I'm really enjoying the fallibility now because I think too much we complain about how Batman, especially the last few detective comics arcs, you know, 95% chance of cardiac arrest, but he's fine. And already, you know, the, the ship is going to crash in five seconds and the engine's going to explode. Now it's all good. But here, you know, Batman is failing. He lost three bats jets in russia (laughs) um you know he's he's not doing so good here and i think that's a storyline we don't necessarily always get especially such a long 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 storyline um i don't know i'm finding it relatable i don't know if it's 100 percent batman but i'm definitely not disliking the way king is writing this batman yeah i i completely agree i'm I've been thinking back. I've read most of Morrison's run. I've read all of Snyder's run. I read a bunch of uh, both Rucka and Brubaker's runs and a lot of Dixon and O'Neill. Well, I haven't read O'Neill's 70s stuff, but, you know, the stuff he edited in the 90s. And I really like what they did in the 90s. I think that Batman was a lot healthier and was really fun still. Um, And I like a lot of what Grant Morrison and Scott Snyder were able to do with the character, but both Snyder and... Morrison's Batman felt more impenetrable to me. Um, you know, Grant Morrison's Batman was such a master. He's like a Zen master and he was able to, you know, punch through a coffin and, you know, stop his own heart and uh, just do all these just godlike things uh, with with no real emotional reaction. I think that's part of the problem is he he didn't really have an emotional reaction. And then Scott Snyder did a lot better job of sort of showing Batman's emotional struggle, um, especially in that first arc of Court of Owls when he's sort of by himself in the maze and you just really get a sense of his um, desperation and his pain. But there's still this sense that Batman was too disconnected from the people and the world he's trying to save. And Tom King's Batman to me feels just so immersed in the world. He's in love. He loves his children. And we, uh, there, there's very good critiques and I agree with them that the way he reacted to Tim's death, uh, well, you know, quote unquote death and um, to Dick's uh, uh, getting shot in the head and all these other things with his children, that's a problem, uh, I think, mostly caused by the fact that there's stuff that's happening in other books. And um, unfortunately, the books aren't edited by the same people, so there's not the same sense of continuity and connectedness. But if you just read Batman itself, I get a real sense of a Bruce who's not – he doesn't see himself as above – the people he's trying to save. Um, this is my fundamental critique of the killing joke. Batman sees himself as alien to the people he's trying to save. He, he sees himself as really fundamentally different than Jim Gordon and Barbara Gordon. Uh, he sees more connection to someone like the Joker, who's just so cut off from humanity. 
I don't ever see this Batman, the Tom King's Batman, laughing with the Joker about, mm-hmm. um, you know, when Jim just got tortured and Barbara just got uh, crippled. This Batman would he would not react in a healthy way. He'd you know go punch a Soviet assassin in uh, in Russia, but you would you would get a sense that he 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 would never feel that detached he would he would feel so so much he would be so overwhelmed by that emotion that he would um just be in the moment in in our life with us um he's not better than us but he is aspirational he's someone that we can aspire to be as steph said so well and so i really love that sequence where he's on the roof and then he jumps off to fight the squid monster and it it doesn't hurt that Jorge Fornes' art is just so amazing. It's, this issue's art was top tier. Um, I just we this nightmares arc started out really really rough for me, but it's gotten really great, especially because of the art. There's just so much emotion and storytelling being put on display in these issues. Um, so that's that's pretty much what I wanted to say about Batman 66. Did you guys have any other questions or anything you wanted to discuss about this issue? Nope. Nope. All right. So Batman number 66, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five. I really liked it. I think I'm going to give it a four out of five. I'm also giving it a solid four out of five. This just a really high quality emotional issue for me hopefully it doesn't feel too emotional for you guys listening but uh i hope you guys enjoyed it um i think it was really good all right so that's going to give batman 66 a total of four out of five batterings now let's jump into our time machine and head to the future for (laughs) batman number 67 batman number 67 Nightmares, Part 5, writer Tom King, artists Lee Weeks, and again, Jorge Fornes, uh, colorist Dave Stewart. Uh, No, not Dave Stewart, sorry. Let me check the colorist. Um, Colorist Lovern Kinzuski. All the way down. Atop a tall building at night, Batman faces a masked killer standing over a murdered man. As Batman approaches the villain, he hears a simple sound, beep beep. The masked man tips backward off the building, grabbing a power line one-handed, breaking it, and swinging away. The man and Batman smash into a couple's bedroom in the chase, leaving them bemused. Batman snags the man foot with his grapnel gun, then jumps below, swinging him off the rooftop. However, just as the man reaches the end of the line, he slips his boot off and escapes. Again, Batman hears the sound of beeping as they descend from fire escape to fire escape. The man breaks through a window and hurls himself down a square spiral of a staircase. And when Batman lands over him, the man kicks him off a balcony and runs away, beeping. Batman manages to catch up to the man, bursting out of a window and tackling him. They both plunge through a skylight into Porky's Bar, seen in the Batman Elmer Fudd mashup and Batman Annual number two. 
Porky attempts to greet Batman, but can't get the words out, so he just directs Batman out the back door to continue the chase. Seeing blood next to a sewer grate, Batman descends. He follows the blood trail, splashing in the water. Seeing the man standing at the edge of a large pipe, Batman tackles him again, and together they plunge into deep water. At the bottom, Batman rips off the man's mask, finding a bloody and grinning Joker. Batman narrates the man he found murdered... Batman narrates that the man he found murdered atop the tall building was named William Ernest Coyote. Asking the Joker why, still underwater, the villain smiles, pulls out a prank horn, and says, Beep, beep. So this is a very different issue than the last um, four nightmares. What was your initial reaction on reading this mostly wordless chase scene from the top of a tall building to the bottom of the sewer? Well, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect from this. Uh, I did see comments on Twitter before this issue came out that this was going to be a slight sequel of sorts to the uh, Batman Elmer Fudd issue. And because of that, I, I, I guess I was prepared to say the least as far as what to potentially expect. So I didn't have a whole lot of expectations as to whether or not it would make sense or not. And honestly, there's some issues that I have with the way it ended and questions I have. But again, because it's a nightmare and it's not necessarily taking place in reality, um, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, okay. Um, I was completely lost as to what Batman was doing. I mean, this is the problem with these these stories, and it's not necessarily that they're bad, but it is really confusing when you jump from one issue where Catwoman says, I lied, and you think you're going to get some sort of resolution the next issue to the following issue, Batman's chasing somebody down, and you have no idea who it is, and then somehow it is all tied somehow back into the Looney Tunes special from a couple of years back. So, I mean, it's, it's difficult to gauge. Obviously we're, we're talking about this single issue, but when it comes to this arc, I think this arc is going to be one of those ones where people have like their favorite moments of the arc. But I think the arc as a whole is going to be extremely difficult to be like, this was a great arc. Um, and this is this is this issue presents an, a very specific point of in that conversation, which is how do you go from what we saw in sixty six to this, and then be okay with it? Because honestly, not that I'm saying that this was bad or horrible or anything like that, but this is not something that is. I'm not interested in this type of writing. I'm not interested in going from something completely unrelated changing the artist to the next issue and then going to something completely unrelated. But that seems to be just the nature of this arc because it's, they're all nightmares. Well, I don't remember who it was, but someone um, in the future <laughs> on the, on, on, on some somewhere discord, maybe <laughs> um, was like, man, this was a waste of time. <laughs> and the first time I read through it, it was like, I have no idea what this was. And um, the longer you look at this, the more there is. This was a crazy deep issue. If you look at the guy who died, he should look vaguely familiar. I was like, oh, no, another villain I'm going to have to try to figure out without a name. Um, but this is it's probably not existing character because that guy sure does look an awful lot like the Roadrunner. <laughs> 
and the fact that he's wily coyote. So, so you know, you've got the parallel of the coyote chasing the roadrunner forever. Like that's he's never going to catch him. Never in in however many decades that the roadrunner and and coyote have existed has coyote ever caught. And so it's like it's the futility of the chase of of Batman chasing Joker. And it's just like the more you look at this, and I, I went ahead and did a little uh, dream interpretation research, and by golly, like the more you look at it and the more research you do, the more it this is a pretty deep analysis of 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 what's going through Batman's head as he's wherever he is being mind screwed by Joker or not by Joker by Bane or whoever Batman from the future Batman from the parallel. <laughs> Thomas Wayne, whatever, whoever it is. So I thought it was not what I was expecting, but but definitely like this well, is this is a pretty t- tensely packed issue. Considering it from the surface, it really doesn't look like all that much. Well, could you do a bit of uh, unpacking of that uh, the dream stuff you've done? Sure. Okay, so I'll try to keep this as as. Uh, quick as possible but so um so just take the time you want (laughs) it's true so i found tons of stuff on oh wait just a disclaimer at the beginning i found so much stuff that was like don't listen to dream interpretation it's a bunch of huey wow this is garbage dream interpretation is a crock science it's a bunch of new age hippies making stuff up don't listen to it. But this is a fictional character being written by an author who does not have a psychological psychology degree. So I'm guessing he probably did as much research as I did. So um, that being said, there's not too much about chasing people. But they from uh, DreamBible.com said that to dream that you are chasing someone or something else represents your attempt to get a hold of something obviously. A goal that is eluding you or a difficult problem that you are trying your hardest to get control over. Um, I noticed throughout the issue, man, they fall a lot. I mean, he's falling from the building from originally, then they fall down those endless, endless, endless stairs, and then they fall from the fire escape into the bar, and then they fall in the waterfall. So he's falling a lot. So I looked up falling. And he says, as with most common dream themes, falling is an indication of insecurities, instabilities, and anxieties. You are feeling overwhelmed and out of control in some of your situations in your waking life. This may reflect the way you feel in your relationship or in your work environment. (laughs) And I just love Batman feeling out of control in his work environment. Uh, Falling dreams also often reflect a sense of failure or inferiority in some circumstances or situations. It may be the fear of failing in your job, loss of status, or failure in love. You feel shameful and a lost sense of self-esteem. You are unable to keep up with the status quo and feel that you don't measure up. And that's from dreammoods.com. And I thought that was so perfect because it's like that is what Batman's feeling. He's failing at a lot of things. You know, he's lost his son in a matter of speaking. He's lost his his wife. He's lost just everywhere. Every time he looks around, he's losing something else and he's just losing control of his life. And I thought that was fairly appropriate. Landing. He lands a lot. He's falling and then landing. And so sometimes in your dreams, you know, you wake up before you've actually hit the ground. And Batman keeps falling on the ground in this one. So from a dreamdictionary.org, this was, uh, this could suggest an ending of some sort of 
something in your life, something where you might need to get to the bottom of things? Do you feel that you might hit rock bottom in your life? Uh, could you relate? Could this relate to a job or relationship? Um, so hitting rock bottom, he's falling a lot. Uh, he falls in the bar. And so from dreammoods.com, I got that bars in your dream. <laughs> uh, to dream that you are in a public bar uh, signifies your desire to escape from the stresses of your daily life and retreat into a lighthearted environment where pleasure abounds. Alternatively, you are seeking acceptance in some aspect of your daily life. The dream may also be a pun on being barred from some place or something. You are feeling excluded or held back by circumstances beyond your control. Um, I just got a couple more. Um, He's in the sewer for the last big chunk of that. And so to dream, this one was amazing. So to dream of a sewer represents issues or situations that you find most objectionable, a sense of how vile or putrid a problem or old relationship is, issues that you care about never having to think about ever again, not wanting to have noticed things you believe are over with. Negativity or problems you feel have been dealt with are too old to be important. Say your parents dying. 30 years ago or, or whatever. And then uh, another one for sewer was something stinks and you must get rid of it. <laughs> your life might be going through some complications <laughs> and it's time for your need to recognize it. Depending on the context of your sewer dream, you might have different meanings. What is the sewer like? What is it overflowing? Was it backed up or causing it to overflow? <laughs> the sewer is all of the awful things that we may have piled up in our, in our conscious conscience. Cautious conscience for some time now, and you need to let go. And then I notice at the end of the issue, he's breathing underwater. And I've had a lot of dreams like that where you're you're underwater and you're freaking out that you might not be able to breathe, but then you're fine. And so I looked that one up and says, to dream that you are breathing underwater represents retreat back into the womb. You want to return to a state where you are dependent and free from responsibilities. Perhaps you are feeling helpless, unable to fulfill your own needs and to take care of yourself. Alternatively, breathing underwater is analogous of being submerged in your own emotions. So that was a lot. But as I was reading that, I was like, yeah, that sounds like some of the stuff he's probably going through right now. <laughs> Absolutely. I really appreciate you doing all that work because um, I think a lot of us can sort of pick up on those things on a subconscious level, but uh, that kind of thing is really helpful to understand the kind of symbols that a writer like Tom King is going to be putting in these issues. So like the, I mean, the issue is titled all the way down. So it's sort of mm -hmm. the deep literal dive into Batman's emotions and feelings right now. And since it's wordless, it's all about those symbols. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a couple words in throughout, but he really doesn't talk throughout. And um, I think there's, some very interesting connections you can make. Um, as I mentioned in my review and as Dustin talked about, this is sort of like the third part of an ongoing uh, joke that Tom King is playing about uh, Batman and the Looney Tunes. Mm -hmm. So he did Batman Elmer Fudd, uh, also drawn by Lee Weeks. Um, and then he did the Batman annual number two, in which he featured the bar uh, from the Batman Elmer Fudd mashup. And then here again, this is clearly uh, inspired by the Roadrunner cartoons, Roadrunner Wild uh, mm -hmm. Coyote. Um, and I think to me, the fact that it's the Joker, his most iconic villain, that he's never been able to stop, um, it brings to mind a classic uh, sort of bonus tale from Batman, Batman Black and White called uh, Night After Night, written by... Uh, Kelly Puckett and drawn by Tim Sale. 
um, in which Batman fights the Joker on a Ferris wheel. And when he's captured the Joker, he says, uh, the Joker says, uh, you're insane. I may have my issues, but you, you actually think you can stop crime. Batman says, what do you mean? I stop crime every night. And I think this issue shows that cyclical um, approach to being Batman. Mm-hmm. He can't stop the cycle of Coyote chasing Roadrunner. The Roadrunner is always going to get away. Crime is still going to happen. People are still going to hurt other people. But he can help one person. He can help one person find justice or he can prevent one person from losing their parents as he did every night. And that's why he does what he does. And I think um, this may not necessarily be the most profound way to state that theme of Batman, but I think it's a good one once you think about it. I mean, I will admit, when I first got to the end of this issue, after there's a lot of words, and I'm an English major, so I love words, I love literature, I love sort of the interplay of visuals and and words that comics uniquely provides – um, so it was hard for me not to say this is a Roadrunner joke. It's 22 pages of a Roadrunner <laughs> joke. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but when I thought about it, the idea that Batman has been around for 80 years, we're about to celebrate the thousandth issue of Detective Comics, and he's still fighting crime. This is still Bruce Wayne fighting crime, and we like it. As I said before, this is Batman, Batman Universe. We love it. You wouldn't be listening. You wouldn't be. We wouldn't be podcasting if we didn't love the endless fight he has to save people, to to punish uh, injustice. Um, and I think that framing it as a roadrunner joke is a way to sort of look at Batman and say, "We love the chase. We love to imagine ourselves as Batman and trying to help." Um, so initially I was a bit frustrated. I, I agree with, um, some of the people who have, we've talked about. Um, and I don't think I'm going to look back at this particular issue and say, yeah, this stands out. I think I will definitely look at number 63 and 66 and say, these really stand out. I think these said something important about Batman. This one I think is just a fun thing. And I, I wish almost that it was more common to have these kinds of one-off issues where it just does a fun thing, has a little joke that maybe has a lot more layers than we initially see. And it's just its own story. Um, and I, I think that a lot of these nightmares sort of provide that, but this is the one that's most disconnected to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if we had, less of a demand for these sort of like everything has to play into the, the greater arc. Maybe this wouldn't feel quite as out of place. Um, I read this one issue um, by Chuck Dixon back in the the nineties. Uh, I think it was detective comics. Uh, it was in the seven hundreds, I think, or maybe the late six hundreds. It was uh, right between um, cataclysm where the, the earthquake hits uh, Gotham and then no man's land where Gotham, you know, is uh, thrown out of the United States and it's uh, violent. Um, and it's Batman trying to save a little girl from the Joker. The Joker's in prison, but he's like hired and planned this thing and Batman has to save it. And 
it doesn't really connect to Cataclysm before it. You know, there was that whole plot with the ventriloquist. And then No Man's Land, which is after it, which is the struggle of Batman to bring his city back into the United States, into civilization. Um, and this di- disconnected. So it's clearly um, connected because, you know, the earthquake has caused all these disruptive things so that the Joker can make this plan. But it's not really part of those larger stories. And this isn't really part of the larger Nightmares arc per se. Um, you can make those connections about how Batman's really diving all the way down, as Steph said, from a tall building where he's got, you know, all these anxieties about his, his everyday life. And then he dives to the sewer, which is all this stuff under the surface. It's bubbling up and it's filthy and he doesn't want to look at it, but he dives into it. So that's clearly connected to what's going on. But it's also, you know, its own story of Batman chasing a criminal who turns out to be the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if we had more of a, a standalone expectation. This might feel less frustrating to us. And I, I hope that even though it might not be our favorite of, of this arc or this run, it'll be remembered as just a really masterful piece of symbolism and storytelling. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think Dustin would say, (laughs) Um, well, yeah, I, I, mean, I could chime in right now. <laughs> Go ahead. I could chime in. Um, I'm not saying that it's bad. No. I just feel like the placement of the yeah. story is, is really poor. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. Um, quite honestly, like that Elmer Fudd uh, Batman uh, special that happened back in 2016, it was probably like the surprise enjoyment comic of the year because – but let's imagine that that it was part of the main Batman series. It was like <laughs> Batman number 16, right in the middle of I Am Bane. And all of a sudden, you have a normal Batman issue where it's Batman Elmer Fudd. And you'd be like, this is a great issue by itself, but what's it and doing that, right that, here? That was a great issue. That that Elmer Fudd issue was really good. And I, I imagine it had a lot, a big part to do with why he won an Eisner that year. Um, this issue is, is, I I don't think that this issue is as good as the Elmer Fudd one, but I don't think that this one is bad by any means. I just, the placement of it is really, just doesn't make any sense. Um, ultimately this will be like the, the, we've said this before, Tom King tells really interesting and good stories when they're very Mm -hmm. short. When you look at this single issue, it's actually out of context, kind of an interesting issue. But in the context of the entire arc and what's currently going on, it's completely out of place. It makes no sense. And that has happened before with other things that he's done. And while I would love to sit here and say, this is, this is amazing. I can't help but to think about the placement of the issue. And that's the problem. Like if they were going to do another Batman Looney Tunes special and this was what we got, it would have been fine. But as a mm-hmm. as as part of this larger nightmares arc that seemingly is so disconnected from everything else or like every issue is, seems to be disconnected from the previous issue or the next issue that's the part that troubles me the most and i'm a big picture person i like seeing how all the pieces fit together and i don't think that some of these pieces are going to make any sense after it's all said and done by the time nightmares wraps up and we get some sort of conclusion to the the Thomas Wayne Batman story that we, that was hinted at right before all these nightmares took place honestly i feel like some of these issues could just have been taken out and it's not going to matter because i don't think that all of these things that are happening as part of the nightmares arc are really going to make that big of a difference in the larger scheme of the story which is why i have such a problem with it this is 
by itself. And a lot of it's repeating too. Cause I mean, yes, it's interesting getting a look at Batman psyche, right. but I feel we're like we're not even done. We still got like done a pretty good issues. job of that so far. So just, I, I know at this point it really is repeating itself yeah. unless he continues on with some of the thoughts he so, started. Overall, individually, this issue is good. I just, I can't get over the placement of it. So I'm going to give it three out of five. Yeah, I agree. Three out of five. I liked it, but I, I, I like also I agree. I'm going to give it a three out of five. Um, I, I'm not sure I completely agree about the whole placement because for me, I've really relished the chance to, um, to really look at Batman's reaction to what's going on. He's been so focused on doing things that he, we haven't gotten a chance to see what he's thinking since 50 hit. And I think nightmares is deliberately supposed to be part of that. It doesn't progress the plot. I'll completely agree with that, but I want to see who Batman is. And that's what these issues are. And, but to me, this issue, because it has so few words um, and I'm a word guy, I mean, uh, (laughs) it was sort of a letdown after all the, the richly poetic words of 63 and 66. So it's a little bit less, uh, powerful to me. So that's why I give it a three out of five. All right. So that's three across the board. So that's going to give Batman number 67, a total of three out of five batterings. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the website for greater Gotham. Starting off on March 6th, we have Main TVU Books. We already talked about Batman number 66. Harley Quinn number 59, The Wicked Three Witches, cast a hex on Harley, and she is turned into a monster. This is by David. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Thumbs up. This was hilarious. I, I was waffling between thumbs up and neutral, but apologies. I mean, I, I love the, the metamorphosis joke from the Franz Kafka story. It was just, I thought there was lots of jokes, and it was funny. But she was a bug. <laughs> well, yeah, but like that's the metamorphosis. He turns into a giant cockroach or dung beetle or something. All right. No secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books. Adventure, Adventures of the Super Sons, number eight. Reunited with the, the Super Sons have to put aside their mistrust in Joker Jr. and formulate a plan to escape while Rex Luthor takes over a planet with his own, his very own Injustice Army. This is by Bill. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. Deathstroke number 41. Deathstroke struggles to pick up all the pieces of his life after escaping from Arkham as a conflict with the Teton Titans looms. So by Ian, he gave it four to five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. <laughs> Doomsday clock number nine. The entire Justice League goes to Mars to address the one responsible for the Moscow explosion, and they are not ready for who they encounter. This is by Tony. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up, I think. I'm going to have to go neutral just because it frustrated me that we had all this great setup in the first half of the issue, and then the rest of the issue was just them punching Manhattan and yeah, it not working. That's a little weird. Whatever. Justice League number 19, the adventures of the world's greatest heroes continue as Mr. Mitzelplick presents a new challenge. This is by Sebastian. He gave it one out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain, but I thought the art was interesting. 
I mean, yeah, Jorge Jimenez is one of the great artists of the age. Um, so I, I have to give this a neutral, uh, but it had really great art. I'll give you that. Young Justice number three, Bart and Connor have an unexpected get together while the other members of the team end up in underground cells after being defeated by Dark Opal. This is by Jessica. She gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. I don't know what to think. I think I get, I think it's a thumbs up, but I don't, I don't know if I know enough to actually, I don't know. Thumbs up. Go with your gut. (laughs) Thumbs up. I'm going to say thumbs up, although, man, people are really mad about Superboy right now. He's married. He has a baby. I'm like, it's not going to last, guys. (laughs) It's like everyone told me about Batman's marriage. It's not going to (laughs) last. All right, secondary DC Universe books, Suicide Squad, Black Files number five, Harley Quinn, Deadshot, and Killer Croc appear in both stories, while Poison Ivy appears in the second story of the issue. Jumping over to March 13th, we have main TBU books, The Batman Who Laughs, The Grim Knight, number one. With one decision, we see a different Bruce become the most lethal Batman in the multiverse. This is by Tony. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. I'm so torn. I'm going to say it neutral because I equally dislike it and like it. Red Hood Outlaw number 32, Jason begins to take over the criminal underworld by establishing control over the Penguin's empire. He gets an unexpected visit from Batman, but proves to have the upper hand. This is by Bill. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, two thumbs up. Abstain. I forgot about this one. <laughs> Catwoman number nine. Selena sets up a sting for some crooks that rob her neighbors. This is by Jerry. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Sorry. I'm going to say neutral trending up. This was sort of a different uh, writer than the normal Joel Jones. Mm-hmm. It was like a guest guy. And I think he actually did a really good job of constructing like this heist story, like Ocean's Eleven. Um, again, I just I'm still bummed about Catwoman not being with Batman. <laughs> you can't use that as an excuse forever. <laughs> I said neutral trending. Nine up. issues in. Nine <laughs> issues in. Uh, secondary TV books, none. Main DC Universe books, none. Uh, secondary DC Universe books, Just League Dark, Man Bat appears as part of the team in the issues. And then Superman number nine, Batman, Batgirl, Nightwing, Robin, and Catwoman all make brief appearances in the issue. But to be quite honest, I was when I wrote up the review roundup, I was taken aback by Superman number nine because the versions of Batman, Batgirl, Nightwing, Robin, and Catwoman, as well as some other unnamed Batman that appear – to be fair, I'm not reading Superman currently, so I can't speak to exactly why we were seeing these versions. But Nightwing looks like Antonio Banderas, <laughs> and Robin has some. Uh, Robin, Damian Wayne, presumably, seems to be more Asian and with some sort of weird ponytail coming off the backside of his head. While Catwoman looks like she's from the '90s in her old purple skin tight jumpsuit. So I don't know what the heck's going on with that. Um, but yeah, all of those characters appear in there. Uh, as far as TBU trades and hardcovers from the past two weeks, we have Detective Comics' 80 Years of Batman Deluxe Edition hardcover, Catwoman by Jim Belent, Book 2 trade paperback, Batman and Harley Quinn trade paperback, JLA New Order, the DC Essential Edition trade paperback. And then we also have uh, Batman vs. Deathstroke hardcover. So that is everything that released over the past two weeks. If we gave a thumbs up, thumbs down, neutral rating, or abstained, those reviews have – we have full reviews of those books over on the site for you to check out. We have new reviews posting up Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday most weeks because as we have heard, the amount of books that we 
have been covering has slightly gone down. Uh, we're no longer covering Just League Dark or Just League Odyssey. Um, but to be honest, we were only covering those because we were slightly interested in them initially. And the amount of Bat Family characters actually appearing, just they're just really there. They're not really having any sort of character development by my definition. So that's why we stopped covering those. But that being said, uh, there are obviously a lot less books than normal because also all the recent miniseries have recently wrapped up and now DC's trying some other miniseries that are outside of the Bat Family. And I applaud them for doing that. But of course, that leaves us with less things to discuss and to review. So that also being said, we have a new TVU editorial over on the site. This one was done by Stella. It's talking about Barbara Gordon's um, heroine journey. Um, this is a proposal of what her heroine journey could be. Definitely take a look at that if you haven't already. That's under a comic editorial section over on the site. Before we get into some uh, other discussion stuff that we're going to talk about, I want to quickly thank our, our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Theodis, Robert, Donald, Stephanie, Brendan, Ian, Anthony, Arturo, Irwin, Captain America, Jay Dutton, and Real No Deuces. We greatly appreciate your support at the $5 and up levels, or I should say $10 and up levels. Uh, thank you very much for your support. If you are not currently supporting uh, TBU via Patreon, I strongly encourage you to support us on Patreon. One of the many things that you will be able to take a look at um, or you'll, you'll get is extra audio content in podcast form. Um, talking about all kinds of different things. TBU Raw is, is at the, the low, low tier of $3 per month. At that tier, you'll get two episodes of TBU Raw every single month where I or someone from the staff will talk about some sort of topic related to Batman. Um, most of the time it's like a gut reaction to some, some sort of announcement that has happened. Um, at the $10 level, you'll also get a TV extra and you'll get a episode of our newest series, which is called fandom in crisis, where I, along with some other staff, sometimes will discuss different items within the world of fandom, not necessarily Batman, but the world in fandom. So the first episode was regarding fan journalism and journalism in general regarding fan sites and things like that. And then the second episode, which released over the past two weeks, was all about the Captain Marvel controversy. Um, and those both of those episodes were pretty pretty substantial, close to an hour in length for each one. So if you're looking for even more content from us here at TBU, definitely be sure to check those out. If you have any, if you are unable to support us on Patreon, but you feel like you have some skills you could share with the Batman universe, whether it be web developing, graphic design, article writing, uh, review, writing reviews for the site. Um, if you are a video editor, anything like that, or anything else that you think TBU could benefit from, get in touch with me at TBU at thebatmanverse.net, and we will definitely get in touch with you to figure out some way of you being able to help out TBU. That being said, that is going to bring us to a monkey watch. Monkey watch 2017. Uh, we haven't done a monkey watch in a while. We've done a couple of discussion points and we don't have any comments this time around. So we're going to do a monkey watch and the monkey watch this time. I want to go really outside the box and something that I had a conversation with recently with my wife was we were talking about our favorite animated Disney movie. Now you're probably thinking 
boy, this is out of left field. Yeah, it is. But that's the whole idea of Monkey Watch. This is completely out of left field and has nothing to do with Batman. So the the reason this came up and the reason why I was thinking about it was because recently there has been a lot of – there's been this insurgence of li- uh, animated or live action films that Disney has been producing that have been – originally made as an animated film. Um, as you're listening to this, Dumbo is about to come out. Uh, there's recently a, a trailer for the Aladdin movie, which comes out in May, is, it, it has released. There's also Lion King coming in July. There's Maleficent 2 coming out in September. And I think there's another one too. I, I, I'm pretty sure there's another one too, but I can't remember which one it is, but that's a lot of movies. And it got me thinking, well, what other movies could they do? Eventually they're going to run out of these animated movies to turn into live action. They've already done some with Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast. There's other ones that are down in the pipeline, like Mulan. What could they possibly do? So my wife asked me while we were talking about this, what's my favorite animated uh, Disney movie? And I thought, well, okay, so if I didn't, if I was just to pick Disney proper, now if you are unfamiliar, one, I'm a huge Disney nerd and I, I, I more so a Disney parks nerd, but I, I watch, I've watched all the Disney movies and uh, that, that so forth and so on. But anyway, long story short, uh, there's, there's Disney proper, which is stuff that's actually produced by Walt Disney animation. And then there would be like Pixar. And then obviously you go even further out where obviously Lucasfilm and, and the stuff that star Wars is doing is part of Disney, but it's technically just under the umbrella. Same thing with like the Muppets and Marvel. So that all being said, if you're looking at Walt Disney animation proper, not including like Pixar movies, I would say my favorite is actually Robin Hood, which of course no one is no one's favorite movie, <laughs> but I love that movie and it's probably more because of the story of Robin Hood yeah. itself and I really like the idea I really like the movies that have animals as like the humanoid versions of themselves so Zootopia was a great movie and mm-hmm. so th- so that's that that's what I kind of like but Robin Hood was one of those ones where I liked that version of it I've got other ones too but if we're just talking about Walt Disney animation proper it would be Robin Hood now I told my co-host ahead of time that we we're going to include Pixar and if we included Pixar by far hands down my number one movie for Pixar, Disney is Toy Story 2. So, Well, I will say that I watched Zootopia and I gave it a standing ovation and I was by myself, well, with my husband, in the living room. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that before. But um, you know what? Going through like the list of all the Disney movies ever, thinking about when I was a kid, the ones that I would watch over and over were probably The Rescuers and The Great Mouse Detective. Which again are oh, nobody's so favorite. Dude, Great Mouse Detective was the first movie I ever saw a movie. Oh for. yeah, mine was Bambi. I hid under the chair. <laughs> I didn't like Bambi's mom getting killed, but I just I love those and and like Treasure Planet too. So like the total like flops are the ones that no one ever mentions. Where, where I just I really like them. I'm not a big fan of princesses, and I just like adventure stories. So so if I had to choose between those three, I'd probably say Basil. I really like Basil. Wow, I'm gonna be the one. <laughs> So I um I do enjoy uh Robin Hood and um Zootopia and uh Rescuers. I I think that's an underrated one. That's a really good one. I it is. Not the down under one, like the one where they go. No, 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 the, the one where they're in like the yeah. 
the, the bayou, yeah. model the UN bayou. and they fight crocodiles and there's a diamond and a stuffed yeah. bear and stuff. Yeah. That had a real melancholy about it that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I'd also throw in Oliver and company for one of those underrated classics, but I am going to go super stereotypical, even though I actually didn't grow up with Disney very much. Uh, my first movie I saw in theaters was Aladdin and that scared me so much that I still don't like it <laughs> to this day. Um, but my favorite two Disney movies are uh, Beauty and the Beast and Tangled. And I do like Tangled. It goes back and forth for me. Um, but right now for the last few years, I think it's really been Tangled. Um, I just love Alan Menken's music. Uh, the animation is utterly beautiful. There's detail. It's not just the main characters like, like Rapunzel and Flynn are just so well animated. There's so much character in the voices and the, the facial movement and the lighting. But if you look at like the crowd scenes, there's like little, um, mini stories that are going on with the, the characters in the background. They're, they're all doing stuff. They act like they have a, a life outside of the movie <laughs> and it's, it's so rich and um, there's so much joy in that movie. Uh, I'm just so moved and, and have so much fun. I mean, the adventure, there's just this swashbuckling sword fighting horse <laughs> and <laughs> the, the chameleon just wandering around, giving everyone dirty looks <laughs> It's a fantastic movie. I've also really been enjoying the uh, the animated series. I need to catch up on that. Uh, but for me, it's going to be Tangled. I'm <laughs> I feel funny because we have Dustin who's loving the anthropomorphic <laughs> animals, uh, Steph who's loving the adventure, and I'm loving the princesses. Tangled was on my on my final list, though. Like, yes, I did like Tangled a lot. But I also do really See, love. That's why this is, that's why Monkey Watch is so great because you learn something in <laughs> something you never thought you would. I also do really love Beauty and the Beast. Like the music for that is phenomenal. That's pretty good too. All right, so that is some information you probably didn't know about each one <laughs> of us. Um, so last, I don't want to do a discussion point, quite honestly, because we, we, we've done discussion points the last couple episodes, and we haven't done a monkey watch in quite some time. So I'm just going to throw out another monkey watch out of <laughs> out of left field, one that uh, my, my co-host didn't even prepare for. <laughs> um, if you were to – if you had to live with a member of the Bat family for the oh, rest no. of your life, oh, no. which one would it be? Oh, no. You have to go first so we can think about it. Oh, yes. That's fine. I'll go first. <laughs> So if I was if I had to pick one specific member of the Bat family, and to be clear, um, that would include all the Robins, so Damien, Tim, Jason, Dick. Um, I would include Batgirl in that group, um, Alfred, Batwoman. Are you talking like a platonic roommate situation? It could be whatever kind of relationship <laughs> you want. <laughs> Just put that out there. Um, but but specifically, so let's just leave it with let's just leave it with those Batwoman, Batgirl, the 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 four Robins, and Alfred. We and have to Batman. include all three Batgirls. Okay, fine. We'll include all three Batgirls just for the sake because I know where you're going with this. So we'll we'll include spoiler I mean, and we'll me. include Cassandra Kane. I do not want to include. Well, okay, well, it doesn't matter. We'll just include Duke for the sake of it, and. We'll include Huntress just because she had she's been in the, the Birds of Prey for such a long period of time. But I'm not including Black Canary because she belongs in the Green Arrow stuff more so than the bad stuff. So, out of those characters, who would you want? I would hands down pick Tim Drake, and the reason why is because I feel like 
I ever had any technical issue, he'd ha- he'd be the best person to go to. If I ever had any sort of mystery that needed to be solved, not that I'm you know Scooby Doo that needs mystery <laughs> solved or anything like that, but I feel like he'd be the best person to to help out in situations like that. He's a great fighter, but I don't. I feel like he's also he's like I think Dick Grayson would annoy me. <laughs> too cheery, and Tim is like the next best thing to having Batman, but Batman is 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 like beyond repair, at least the way he's currently. Where he wouldn't be a, a fun roommate. I don't know how Alfred deals with it, but I would say Tim Drake. I will have to go a little lazy and say Alfred because I could have breakfast in bed. Um, If I needed surgery, he could do surgery. You know, I think he'd be an awesome all around jack of all trades to have in the house. And also he would do my laundry and clean my floors. That's selfish and horrible, but that's the kind of roommate I'd want. (laughs) Also, I'm the one that does well, all the cleaning at my house, so I'd prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> you could trade tips about the best way to clean. So I have already tipped my hand. Um, it's going to be Stephanie Brown. Um, I don't actually want to like be in a romantic relationship with Stephanie Brown, but I think she's just the most fun for me to hang out with. Um, just in terms of her sense of humor and her interests. I mean, she's got all these sort of interests that uh, have shown up throughout her comics that I also enjoy. Um, And I also think she'd be a good contrast. Like uh, we wouldn't have the same thoughts. So it would always be interesting to talk and she could beat me at ping pong all the time. Um, So I'm going to be very on brand. (laughs) It's Stephanie Brown. Of course. I think anyone knew that, That would be my answer from the beginning of Dustin's question. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of a loaded question. It's part of the reason why I didn't want to. So I'm going to make you choose second best option if Stephanie Brown wasn't there. Oh, um, let's see. I think, can I pick Oracle or is that cheating too? No, you could do that because technically that's Barbara Gordon. So I would consider her. Okay, I would pick Barbara Gordon, but specifically Oracle um, for similar reasons to what Dustin said about Tim because Oracle uh, has that technical ability and she also is just a great thinker. Um, and she is, I mean, she's way smarter than probably any of us. Um, so she'd always be interesting to talk to as long as we were able to not annoy her. Um, and I just think she's such a great person, uh, you know, coming back from that injury to be a hero. Okay. All right. So there you have it. Another probably useless bit of information that you did not know about us, but now you know. Well, you come on. You knew that about me. (laughs) That's true. But uh, okay. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, If you have questions that you would like us to discuss on the next episode, I, I greatly encourage you to do so and leave those comments over on the site or Discord or Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Because if not, we're just going to keep coming up with crazy questions to talk about, and I might just not do any more discussions until we get some good comments. So, if you are <laughs> tell prepared, us what you think about nightmares, guys. Yes, yeah. it, it, if you are prepared to listen to me come up with crazy questions that have nothing to do with Batman, please, <laughs> please don't leave comments because that's exactly <laughs> what'll happen. 
So with that being said, I want to encourage you to head over to the website to check out all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all of the uh, videos that we have to offer over on, on our YouTube channel. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, and Instagram. I, I never say Instagram, but we are also on Instagram. We have an Instagram? Yes, yes. We've had Instagram for quite some time. Uh, I never promote it because I, I'm an idiot and I got too wrapped up in saying Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for the longest time. I'd never say Instagram, but we have an Instagram. Um, and, and I do post over there just as frequently as I do on uh, Facebook. So if you are one of those Instagrammers out there, I think that's what they're called, um, then go ahead and follow us uh, over on on Instagram. Um, Outside of that, you can leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated, but completely unnecessary at this point in time. And then, of course, you can leave your comments over on the site or anywhere else. As long as you tag us, we will be sure to plug your comments to ensure that we don't keep talking about random things on the next episode. So with that, I want to thank you for listening and encourage you to chime to, to join us in the uh, next episode where we won't be talking about Batman 67 because our time machine will have been destroyed. Uh, <laughs> but we will have, be, we will be discussing the entire detective comics number 1000. And that's partially why we did Batman 67 this time around is so that we have an entire episode to talk about the oversized Detective number 1000 next time around. So with that being said, I can't wait. Yes. With that being said, thanks for listening. This is Dustin. This is Steph. This is Ian. You've been listening to that mirror's comic podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Mm -hmm.